Sermon for the Baptism of Christ, Sunday, 10th of January, 2021. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It will not come as a surprise to you to know that I don't speak Portuguese, but somewhere along my life's journey, I picked up the word madrugada which apparently refers to that period of time just before dawn, between one o'clock and four o'clock in the morning, although there is some dispute about its conventional English translation as dawn. It's the time of night the Scots might call the wee small hours, which to those of us over 60 probably has a double meaning. Anyway, I mention this because one of the phrases that has been going through my mind this last week with the terrible resurgence of coronavirus and the reintroduction of strict lockdown measures is this idea that it is darkest just before the dawn. I looked into this cliché and it turns out it's believed to come from a 17th century theologian called Thomas Fuller who used it in a book he wrote about the Holy Land. Apparently there is some scientific basis for it in that the time before any light at all appears across the horizon is the time when it's been darkest for the longest. As you know, the phrase has come to be used to give encouragement and hope when we're going through dark and difficult times. Things always seem the worst just before they improve. It reminds me of those hours in the morning when you wake up after not quite enough sleep and your thoughts begin to race. Nothing seems in perspective. It's the time of the night when even clubbers have gone home to bed and the traffic has died away, a time of emptiness. Yet, though these are the most anxious of hours, these madrugada ones, it's worth reminding ourselves that they are much nearer to the dawn than the earlier hours of darkness. In truth, the darker it gets, the closer we are to the dawn. I am pretty sure the idea didn't really originate with the 17th century theologian, but it's something that's been in human experience for a long time. The phrase, darkest before the dawn, isn't exactly found in the Bible, but there are quite a number of Bible verses which reflect the same human experience and do so with words of hope in God's presence, even in the darkness, and dawn as a reminder and a symbol of God's ever-faithful light, which is always coming to us, even if still over the horizon for a little while yet. For example, Psalm 46 verse 5 has words which were first written to give hope and comfort to the people of Israel in a time of national emergency. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. We also, in our time, might draw hope and comfort from those words. The famous late 19th century London preacher C.H. Spurgeon 
spoke about some similar words in that most mysterious and lyrical of books in the Bible, the Song of Songs. Until the day break and the shadows flee away. There is a description in the poem of one searching in the night, distressed and anxious for her beloved. At first it seems in vain, but then suddenly he is found. Spurgeon preached sympathetically and interestingly for his time about how important it is to recognise that fear, anxiety and depression in dark times are acceptable and understandable responses. What we might say in today's lingo, it's okay to be not okay. Spurgeon emphasised that these feelings are not signs that we have let God down or that God has abandoned us. On the contrary, Spurgeon preached, this is when God comes closest to us, even if by necessity we are not always aware of that. Bearing with the late Victorian language, let's hear a few words from Spurgeon. Terrible depressions come over us. We walk in darkness and see no light. I should not like to guess how heavy a true heart may sometimes become. There is a need to be that we be in heaviness through manifold trials. It is not always that a man can gather himself together and defy the fierce blasts and walk through fire and through water with heavenly equanimity. No, brethren, a wounded spirit who can bear? And that wounded spirit may be the portion for some of the very fairest of the sons of God. Indeed, the Lord has some weakly, sickly sons who nevertheless are the very pick of his family. It is not always the strong ones by whom he sets the most store, but sometimes those that seem to be driven into a corner, whose days are spent in mourning, are among the most precious in his sight. And Spurgeon, in that same sermon of his, went on further to reveal his own anxieties of his time. I'm not sure what were the immediate causes, anxieties about the future, and how he often clung to those words from the Song of Songs. He said, I do not think that any passage of Scripture more often occurs to my mind when I am alone. For just now, I feel that there is a gathering gloom over the church and over the world. It seems as if night were coming on, and such a night as makes one sigh and cry until the day break and the shadows flee away. It is in those small hours when the darkness seems deepest, and in those times when things seem to be running in a worsening direction, when we have to acknowledge it is frightening and depressing, when we are searching and grasping for hope and relief, that we most need to hear those promises that the day always dawns, the darkness doesn't get the final say, God does. Today in church we're celebrating the baptism of Christ. There is also a sign, that is also a sign, the, the sign if you like, of the promise of God's new dawn. Both our Bible readings for this Sunday speak about the action of God enacted by spoken word or announcement to bring into being something utterly new and different from what has gone before, to change darkness into light, 
despair into hope? We heard the familiar opening words of the Jewish Christian scriptures, the first verses of the book of Genesis, the account of God's creation of all that is, leaving aside the interesting rabbit hole of discussion about whether nothing is something, we can say that Christian teaching about God's creation is especially notable for the belief that God created everything that is out of nothing. This isn't in essence a scientific theory, but instead a, a teaching about how we live in the world in the faith that this is God's world. The belief that God created the world out of nothing expresses our faith that there is nothing outside of God which limits or conditions God's presence and God's love for the world. In theological lingo, God is sovereign. As human beings, we share in God's creative attributes. We have responsibilities to look after the world, but we are not God. Everything we do and make of the world is partly conditioned by what we have been given, by what is handed to us. There are, in fact, no self-made people. In passing, it's worth commenting, I think, in these current economic upheavals that economists and government policymakers need to get a better grasp of that truth. Even at the level of acknowledging that Amazon's boss is really not entitled to imagine that his billions are simply the result of his own entrepreneurial efforts, but that it was public borrowing and government investment and regulation that laid the foundations of the internet on which his business is built. And what should that mean for taxation regimes and workers' benefits? So Christian understanding of creation teaches that God as creator is very different from us as the created, and that it is God alone who makes something from nothing, brings the utterly new into life. In the words of the book of Revelation, God is making all things new. Unlike some other notions of sovereignty that have become popular recently, God's sovereignty does not take from us or reduce us. Instead, God's power to make all things new gives us the freedom to be hopeful. And it gives us the power to join in the changes to be made. Even within the natural world, we see signs of how the utterly new can emerge from what went before, not out of nothing, of course, but so very different from its previously hidden form. Even regular instances of this, like chickens hatching from eggs and butterflies from chrysalids, inspire awe and wonder in primary school children. And the experience of the birth of a baby, happening every day in the world, yet continues to be received as miraculous and life-changing by the particular parents involved directly. Mark's Gospel, from which we read this account of the baptism of Jesus, doesn't begin with a birth. It starts the story with this appearance of Jesus as a grown-up, being baptised and being announced by the heavenly voice, by God, as God's Son. People being baptised by John the Baptist were making a sign that they wanted a new start in their lives. 
And then Jesus is revealed at his baptism as God's way of making possible a new start for everyone and for the world. Here is more than merely a wise teacher and guide, more than a spokesperson for God. This is God with us. So we celebrate the baptism of Christ, when as a human being he was shown to be God with us. That God's power to make things new is with us, and through our faith and baptism, that hope of new creation is also within us. We have hope in Christ that after this dark and empty time, after this the madrugada of our generation, a new dawn will come. We can take heart from this to show hope and that dawning light by what we say and what we do in our own lives, through prayer and through acts of caring and support for one another, for those whose spirits are wounded, for those who are crying out for help, for a new world of compassion and justice.